This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott and I'm joined by QB11 himself, Mr. Andrew. How are you today? I'm doing good, Doug. Ready to get back up to, to Oregon here tomorrow and spend some time with family, eat a lot of good food and put myself in a coma before we go to uh, get into the Civil War game on Friday. Yeah, this is going to be uh, a great week. I think the weather looks great for Friday's game. I'm super excited about this one. Getting down to the tailgate, getting down to the game, 5.30 kickoff. Sounds like they're going to do a drone show at halftime. I've, I've never seen one of these drone shows in person, but if you go on to YouTube or wherever online and, and Google that and look at what these drone shows look like, I don't know what to expect out of this one, but uh, it, it sounds pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I, That's the only thing to look forward to. But it's, I don't, the game, I'm looking forward to more. But that, that part sounds cool. I don't think it's silly, Doug. I think it's cool. What's on the menu? What, what are you cooking? Uh, I am not cooking. Uh, we're going to just we get, we're picking up a bunch of pizzas. So we're going to have pizza at, at the, and snacks and beer and, you know, jello shots and all the usual stuff at the tailgate. But no cooking this week. Just uh, just eating and drinking and getting ready for the game. 530 kickoff. It's going to be under the lights. It's going to be clear. It'll obviously get pretty cool so with the clear skies at this time of year, but I think this this bodes well. I don't, you know, we're not going to see any rain. We're not going to see any nastiness. Um, it, it's just going to be a you know a, a nice late fall football game under the lights on the turf, and you know a lot to play for. You know, for both of these teams, obviously Oregon is playing for a spot in the Pac-12 title game. If they lose this game, they're probably not going to make it because uh, they they would need Arizona State to beat Arizona, uh, and I don't predict that's going to happen. We'll talk about our picks later. So Oregon State needs to win this game to make it to Las Vegas in the Pac-12 title game and a rematch with Washington. Obviously, they also need it to keep their, their playoff hopes alive, which are they're sitting at number six. They're they're squarely in in the driver's seat, if you will, of, of what they need to accomplish to get to the playoffs. So this is a big game for Oregon for all those reasons. And obviously, you know, th- remembering back to what happened last year in Research Stadium against the Beavers with, with a shot to go to Las Vegas on the line in that game as well. And, and kind of the, the fourth quarter meltdown that we've talked about, you know, plenty. We don't need to rehash again. And then you look on the other side of the ball. I mean, Oregon State's eight and three. Um, you know, they can win this game. Go get you know have their second nine and three regular season in a row. Uh, obviously up 
their bowl game prospects. They they can't go to the Pac-12 title game at this point. At this point, they've already been eliminated. But also with the the bigger kind of macro picture looming, you know, with con- where are they going to be at conference wise next year? What does the Pac-2 look like? What does their schedule look like? Who's going to hit the transfer portal next week when it opens or, or in two weeks when it opens up? Um, where's you know is Coach Smith staying? Is he going to go and look at other odd job opportunities? So there's a it's kind of for Oregon State, you know, maybe maybe a, a moment, and maybe this turns out to be true, or maybe it doesn't. But even even if it could be true, it could be kind of one last one last hurrah with the gang, right? So there's a lot for them to play for too, and obviously it's a rivalry game, and they're going to want to come in and be fired up and try to do what they can do to to knock Oregon off and and ruin Oregon season, if you will. And uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna let Oregon just walk away with this one without a fight. I'm sure they're. I'm sure that Oregon State's gonna be ready to play. Um, I'm sure they're gonna be excited. Uh, I'm sure they're really pissed off about the circumstances, and I'm sure that it's being framed in a way that it's all Oregon's fault. Um, and so, yeah, I expect their best shot on Saturday, on Friday night, I guess. And uh, ultimately, I don't think it's gonna be close to enough. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to our picks and how we see this game flowing in a little bit. I mean, Oregon State's an interesting team. They're eight and three on the year. Um, they are what is that five and three in conference play right now. It's interesting because they, they're you know they, they'll say this a lot. Well, our three losses are by a combined eight points, which is technically true. They lost to Arizona in Arizona a few weeks ago, about a month ago, twenty-seven to twenty-four. They obviously lost that game at home to Washington, twenty-two to twenty last week, and then they're, they had a three-point loss to Washington State back in September. However, that game it, that was that was a huge fourth quarter like backdoor cover if you will by Oregon State they were down I don't know 25 points in that game at one point in time before kind of a late rally to make the score respectable but they they kind of got blown out in that one um that said you know they've they're, it's they're an interesting team they're they're very good at home they've been pretty average on the road even in the games they obviously they lost at Washington State they lost to Arizona uh they won at Colorado a couple weeks ago but barely by a touchdown they won at cal by 12 uh back in early october so and then they they won the first week against san jose state which is not a very fo- good football team but they they've just not been the, a a super great team on the road um at home they're very dangerous but they're not playing at home this week they're coming into Autzen, and so it's going to be a tough test. They haven't won in Austin. Oregon State hasn't won in Austin Stadium since 2007. That was the year where Oregon lost like every quarterback, 17 quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. and not not discounting the win. I mean, Oregon State still came in and won it, but that before that, the last time they won in Eugene was 1993. So they have one win in in Austin Stadium in, in 30 years' time, and that was under that you know fifth quarterback situation and in, in the year of the injury. So. Uh, it's going to be a tough test for the Beavers, especially with all the things we talked about that Oregon's playing for. And, you know, QB, one of the things we've been talking about a lot and, you know, I think we were, we've been hammering a lot and especially leading up to last week and after last week's game is this team under Dan Lanning has not taken games lightly, uh, especially against teams that they should beat. Yeah, and I think after last year with what happened, the complete collapse in the fourth quarter in Corvallis, um there, there's zero chance that this Oregon team, with with all the things that are on the line, all the things that they have to play for, they have a they have a Pac-12 title to play for, they've got a college football playoff berth to play for, both they have a Heisman Trophy for Bo, potential Blitnikoff for Troy. 
a, a Joe Moore award for the offensive line. There's just so much on the line um, that there's there's no way that I can be convinced going into this game that Oregon State is going to get anything less than Oregon's complete and total focus. Yeah, I think I saw uh, you know several people reported on this, but uh, apparently in the locker room this week, uh, you know, ahead of practices, the the fourth quarter of last year's game has been on 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 a infinite loop in the locker room and the and the players can't turn it off or mute it so they've been they've been seeing that a little bit when they're getting ready for practice and and uh it's kind of you know uh, something there top of mind for everyone in in finishing the game right like four full four quarters which is something they've talked about you know and dan you hear dan talk about that all the time especially like some of these games where oregon has a big first half right like let's finish the game let's play a complete game Right, and that's been a, a point of emphasis all year, and, and all these blowouts that Oregon's been, you know, been having, and and I think this was this will resonate here as well, right, because of the way that last year's game ended. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, comparing this team and last year's team is also like just not a productive exercise. Um, last year's defense finished sixty second in F plus. This year's defense currently ranks fourteenth in F plus. So, like what transpired and like to be honest with you as much as like everyone's 18 straight runs they were also aided by special teams errors on Oregon's behalf turnovers that gave them short fields at times I mean yeah we did get ran over 10 that game there's there's no um if ands or buts about that uh but when you really like take like a, a higher level view it also wasn't a particularly great Oregon defense last year and this this Oregon defense um isn't elite but I would say it's very good uh, and and when we look when we as we dive into these matchups here as I think we're about to do, it, it's a it's yeah. a much it's a much different matchup than it was a year ago. Yeah, and, and it's a much different roster, right? I mean, we we talked about this a lot over the off season. I mean, Oregon turned over about fifty five percent of its roster. If you look at the two deep, it's you know I think thirteen. 13 out of forty four players, you know, or, or fifteen out of forty four players are our holdovers from two years ago on the two deep. If you look at snap counts um, on, on defense um, it's about 30, about 65% of snaps are by guys that that landing has brought into the program compared to 35% that were here before. Right. So it is a very different team than two years ago and, and a very different team than last year, both. And, you know, look at, in Oregon, I put, I tweeted this out earlier today. Kind of Oregon's offensive and defensive ranks in in a bunch of categories, including the you know F plus, FEI, S plus. You just mentioned they're, you know they're they're fourteenth, fifteenth, seventeenth in those three things. But but even if you go to points per drive, available yards, yards per play, yards per carry, yards per attempt, yards per play, you know all of these things. Uh, sacks, third down percentage, red zone TD percentage, explosive plays you know, across the board defensively. Oregon ranks between 15th and 30th in all of those stats. Uh, so they don't really have an area like any really areas where they're outlier bad, right? I mean, they're consistently top 30 in everything. They're top 20 in half of the things. So overall, they're they're a top 20 defense, right? You see a lot of teams that are good against the run, not good against the pass or, or vice versa, or are good situationally, but give up a ton of third downs or they, you know, they give up a lot of touchdowns in the red zone. And, and Oregon is consistently, you know, in the top 30 of the country in every single defensive category, which overall leads you to be in the top 15 overall defensively. And, and that's a really good place for Oregon, you know, especially since they have the number one offense in the country by most metrics and, 
and you know where they were last year on defense like you said in the 40s to 60s so i mean that's a significant improvement and and it's not the same i mean if if Oregon State wants to try to run the ball on 20 straight plays in the fourth quarter of this game i don't think they're going to have I don't think they're going to have anywhere near the level of success they had last well, year. They'll accomplish that. what they're looking to accomplish because if they're running the ball that many times in the fourth quarter, they're just trying to get out of the game. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And and and, and Oregon State also has a much better passing game this year. You know, giving you know, let's talk a little bit about what they bring to the table on offense. Obviously, it all starts with Damian Martinez. He is the re- leading rusher in the Pac-12 with 1147 yards. Um. You know, averages 6.3 per carry, which is really good. So he is the kind of the where their offense starts and ends. I think he had 130, 140 yards last week against Washington. Um, they use Deshaun Fenwick as kind of the the backup, if you will. He gets about a third of the total, about half the carries that Martinez gets. So on the year, Martinez is 181. Fenwick has 89, so just about half. He's a much less efficient back, a much less explosive back in my watchings. Um you know, it he's he's just there to give Martinez a rest. And not to say he's a bad player, but he's not someone you fear necessarily. If if he's back there running the ball, you're like, okay, let's we'll take that. He's a solid player. I mean, Martinez is their plus player yeah. at running back, and frankly, like to me, watching him over the course of the year, he doesn't have quite the spring in his step that he had back in September um, and early October. And I'm almost curious if I mean everyone's carrying around some kind of injury at this point, but. Um, if he's carrying around some kind of nagging injury, that's that's slowing him down a bit because he just the, the energy on his runs is not what it was at the beginning of the season, and maybe that's also just a product of the volume of touches that they feed him because uh, he's he's a very integral part. I'd say he's their most important skill player by a very wide margin, and on most teams, you'd say the quarterback is the most important. Yeah, I mean, he gets about three more carries a game than Bucky, just you know, for a reference point for for Oregon fans. Um, but three carries a game doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of a season, game. you know, it's an extra thirty. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's a whole game worth. It's actually two games worth, right? Because because Bucky averages fifteen carries a game, and and he averages eighteen, so that's an extra thirty carries. That's that's a, about two games worth of Bucky's workload. So it, it adds up for sure. Yeah, it does. And <clears throat> when I look at when I look at the Oregon State offense. Um, to me, like the, the the key players to know, um, other than the quarterback DJ Uyunglele, um, would be Damian Martinez, absolutely first, uh, and then uh, Jack Velling, the uh, the tight end, um, who who in my opinion is a, a very good player, one of the better tight ends in the conference. Um, on the offensive line, which I think is one of their strongest units, uh, the right tackle Fuaga is an all-conference caliber player. Um, he's I don't think he's a day one pick, but he's probably a day two pick in the NFL draft in April. Huge guy, like 6'6", 334, um, really powerful run blocker, like ser- like legitimate knockback power. It's actually, like I know there's going to be a bunch of scouts in attendance, like him versus Birch is going to be Clash of the Titans on the edge um, if we get that matchup at all because uh, Birch is probably the strongest run defender in the conference, and this is absolutely the best uh, in terms of knockback power, the best running right tackle in the conference. And they run a lot of stuff behind him. They do uh, primarily – they're primarily a zone running team, but they'll run a lot of outside zone um, off of him um, because he creates so much displacement on the right side of the offensive line. Uh, <clears throat> interior of the offensive line, uh, Levin Good's been, been a solid player for them at center, but the uh, the guard spots have been kind of a revolving door 
um, with them losing Bloomfield now for the season. Um, I don't know what the status is on Stark. Uh, on St- is it Stark? Stark, yeah, yeah. On Stark. I'm not sure what the status is on his health. They actually were playing a redshirt uh, junior, Gonzalez, um, in place of Bloomfield for the final 15 snaps of the game offensively last week. Uh, and it was very clear that <clears throat> as soon as he came into the game, Washington was attacking him. I mean, they immediately got a pressure doing a twist on his side. Uh, Trice got inside. He He's definitely uh, – you'd fall under the category of stiff, in my opinion, uh, and does not have great redirection or lateral agility. So I think like if he's a player that's going to be a key or like he's going to be a cornerstone on the offensive line in this game and play a high quantity of snaps, uh, I fully expect Oregon to do a lot of games – with him, um, stunts and games, blitzes, and then also try to create as many one-on-one isolations with Brandon Dorless as possible because that's a matchup to me watching the film that is just like very, uh, very easy to win. And I also think that because of the way that DJ plays the quarterback position for Oregon State and how static he is in the pocket, he gets flat-footed once he gets off his first read, uh, interior pressure is going to be really hard for them to deal with because he typically becomes very inaccurate with interior pressure in his face. So um, the receiver group is an army of not very large human beings. Um, the two primary players are Gould and Bolden. Both of them are generously listed at 5'8". Uh, I don't think either one of them are truly taller than 5'7". Uh, they both have good speed, but they just... They, they aren't built to be playing on the outside. And because they play so much 11 and 12 personnel, they have to play on the outside, uh, which means that you're, they, they, the route tree is greatly cut down by their physical limitations. I mean, we saw them trying to throw the ball vertically against Oregon State. And I don't know that Muhammad for Washington has had a, a more uh, ideal matchup skill set wise in his entire college career because he's just a little quick twitch corner. Uh, not particularly large himself, and he's going against guys with limited route trees trying to get vertical on the outside that are 5'6". So um, when I look at this offense, if they can't run the ball, and I think we're going to see a heavy dose of quarterback run this week, uh, but if they can't run the ball on first down, it's going to be really tough for them to find any consistency on offense. Yeah, you mentioned DJ. You know, he's he's actually run the ball 61 times this year, which is, you know, a little over six a game or – yeah, yeah, a little over six a game, um, or I guess a little under six a game. My math is off here, but um, that includes sacks, of course. So he certainly, like you said, he has that he has that big frame. It, you know, if they get into third and short and fourth and short, you see the quarterback run uh, almost being their go-to play in those situations. So I think, like you said, first down, second down are going to be particularly first down. If you know, watching Oregon State particularly last week, but I think this is a, a season-long pattern as well, right? If they if they don't have success on first down, like I don't think they're a very good second down team. I don't think they're uh, a very good second and long. Offense. I don't think they're a good second and long team. I should they're, say they're flat track bullies. Like they have they have a very well coached <clears throat> offensive line that they can get behind and absolutely bully bad teams. But I think that everything they do is dependent on them being able to basically win between the C gaps, and I don't think they're going to be able to do that in this game. Like. They they run a lot of outside zone and a lot of people would just assume that that's a, like an exterior run that you're trying to get to the edge. That's not really what it is. Like they're they're trying to get the flow of the defense running wide so that their large ball carriers, whether it's DJ at 250, Martinez at 230, Fenwick at 220, or Newell at 225, 
can hit a hit a crease and get vertical into the second level and use their size to create yards after contact. If you can actually eff- effectively spill the interior gaps against Oregon State, their run game really gets shut down. And we we saw that against UCLA. We saw that against Utah. Um, for the most part, they really they weren't an efficient run team at all in those games. Uh, and and because of that, their offense was greatly hindered. Um, the thing that was really interesting to me watching them against Washington last week from a scheme standpoint was they do very little to recapture a number in the box. And what I mean by that is um, as the game went on, Washington was respecting their passing game, their vertical passing game less and less and less. And so whether it was them going to a bare front and bringing in an additional big body um, to cover all the gaps in the, in the trenches or starting to, to bring Hampton number seven, the safety for Washington down into the box pre-snap, um, basically creating a numbers advantage for the Washington defense. Oregon State didn't have any counter for that. They didn't. <clears throat> they didn't run. They don't run RPOs. They don't really run zone read. Like when it's a quarterback run, it's a designed quarterback run. Um, and so yeah. there's nothing putting any defenders in conflict to hold a number to to kind of try to soften. Uh, there's nothing holding a, a second level defender out of the run game or a third level defender in the case of Hampton, when it was a safety that was creeping down to the box. Uh, and we saw that their, their run effectiveness over the course of that game outside of basically two drives was pretty much nothing. Um, and the, and their, their counters to that was they have some well-timed screens that were kind of bigger, more explosive plays for them. Uh, but to me, when I, when I watch this Oregon state team, like if, when they're playing against Oregon, they're going to have to run DJ like way more than they've been running him throughout the season to have a chance in this game. Um, Cause that's the only way that they're going to create a equal number of situation against us in the box. Cause I don't think we've seen Oregon really just sit in a too high shell most of the season. If I don't, I don't know that Oregon respects any of the receivers on this team enough to do that. I, I really do think that we are going to see a substantial amount of base front defense out of Oregon, like which in, means that instead of playing five defensive backs, they're probably only going to be playing four. Um, and really just saying, hey, like if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to create plays outside the hashes um, to really small receivers against bigger, physical, more athletic corners uh, in, in Jackson and Florence and Manning. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting to watch. Like, can Oregon bottle up the run game? To me, it comes down to winning in the A and B gaps. And so what I mean by that is, Players like Popo, Taimani, Dorless, where Hudson, Rogers, being able to spill runs to the outside because the effectiveness of their runners, whether it's their quarterback or their bigger backs, is when they get to put a foot in the ground and get vertical. If you're spilling runs, meaning that you're clogging interior gaps and and, and forcing them to bounce and go lateral, you're creating you're creating much easier tackling angles for your linebackers and safeties. Um, where they don't have a guy coming downhill that's much larger, they're going lateral. It, it creates easier tackles, and and I think Oregon has a substantial team speed advantage, um, running sideline to sideline with Oregon State. So um, I know this is a little bit more of a deep dive than we've done traditionally this season, but I've we're at the end of the year. I've watched a lot of film on Oregon State, and and they're one of the better opponents we've played. But uh, when I look at this this matchup, the things that make Oregon State score a lot of points against bad defenses are not available to them in this game like they don't have such a massive advantage at the point of attack i really think that the only player that can consistently stalemate or win reps is fuaga the right tackle for them so um it's going to be fun to watch but i think that oregon's depth on the defensive line is really going to come through in this game and if if i'm right 
and Oregon's able to really stem the bleeding of those early down runs, whether it's first or second down, uh, and keep them in down and long down and distance situations. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be able to create a lot of havoc in the backfield for DJ on third down, and I don't foresee a lot of separation from the receivers against our guys. Yeah, I mean, you look at the games where Oregon State you know, has played, you know, the better defenses on their schedule. They scored 21 against Utah. You know, they won 21 to seven. Um, and that was, you know, earlier in the year when Utah hadn't really figured out their court. I think they were still starting the, the other quarterback at that point before they had gone back to Barnes. And then UCLA, they they put up 36, but UCLA threw three interceptions, including a, a pick six in that game. So that, that score is a little bit deceiving as well, you know, aided by those mistakes by UCLA. And as you said, their, their running game, Oregon State's running game was, was held relatively in check in that one. And, you know, just kind of looking at some of their Oregon State's offensive stats, I mean, they are second in the Pac-12 in in uh, rushing average behind Oregon. Um, they So they do that well. They're, they're about middle of the conference, you know, with passing efficiency-wise. Third down conversions, they're seventh in the conference. So they're not they're not great there, um, especially in third and long, right? They're, they're If they get in third and short, they're pretty effective. Third and medium, third and long, um, they're not great there. And that's also the time when, you know, when you've seen DJ get picked off this year, it's been in those situations where he needs to make a play, uh, yeah. you know, in a third and long or a critical a critical game situation late in the game. And then just real quick, they are they are the best team in the conference and one of the best teams in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. So once they get inside the 20, they are very effective, 78 percent on the year in getting in turning that into a touchdowns in touchdowns. And that, that's kind of a credit to their running game. It, right. It's but because I think it, the key is keeping them out of that. It, it's yeah. because they're forced to be patient in the red zone like they like the, the biggest problem that I saw for Oregon State offensively against Washington, because Washington doesn't have a front that can really plug gaps and stop them, is they kept trying to create chunk plays in, in the passing game, which to me is a mistake because you don't, like, they just do not have guys on the outside that are capable against competent corners of doing that. And so you're just wasting downs instead of just trying to stay ahead of the chains and, and take a profit. Like, when when Oregon State had its most successful drives, it they were long drives. They were like 15 to 20 play drives where like the average air yards on throws are probably four yards. And it's really just getting the ball into space to your little receivers where they can actually be, you can effectively use their, their, their skill set. And like, I, a deep, uh, big Dave, if you listen to this, I don't mean this is disrespect to your son because I think he's improved a lot this year, but like what my biggest critique of DJ as, as a quarterback is, whenever they ask him to do full field progression reads is he has no tempo in the pocket. What I mean by that is he hits the top of his drop and his feet stop. And like, you can see like he's going through his progression, but his feet aren't active. His feet don't follow his eyes. So there's no tempo. And so when he goes to step into a throw, his body is very rarely aligned and it causes some inaccuracy issues. He's kind of sitting crouching, crouching, crouching. And you see, you could see his body weight constrict and drop. Um, and it doesn't put him in an athletic position with active feet to, to escape the pocket. So when you see that interior pressure, which we saw a lot from uh, Washington where they were taking tries and they were running twist games um, and, and getting him isolated on guards or getting him as a free runner, DJ, DJ can't escape because his feet are, his feet are static. Um, and, and that's not really his game. Like as a runner and as an athlete, like he's good when he gets unraveled. So you get him through that first line clean. Then he's, then he's a six, four, 250 pound man that you have to try to get on the ground. And it's hard to do that with momentum, right? So that's just basic physics. Uh, but from a from a stop start standpoint, that's not where he excels athletically. And so, um, 
again, Oregon State has really feasted on the bad the bad defense they've pl- defenses they've played. But when you look like if you were if you look at their statistics in isolation against the better defense defenses, their yards per carry are almost cut in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I have a lot of respect for Jonathan Smith. I'm sure that they'll have some stuff for us that is new. I, I would expect, like after last week, when they really didn't have answers for, for the extra bodies in the box, that maybe they install some, some, um, some RPOs or some, like something, like some zone read stuff. Uh, because if I'm Oregon State and I know my strength is my offensive line and my running back and my big quarterback, um, I want I want to play hat on hat football where with even numbers in the box and and try to like milk clock as much as possible because I, we'll we'll switch over to the other side here momentarily but their defense is completely outmatched in this game. Yeah, let let's talk about that because I think that that's regardless of what happens on offense, I think this is the side of the ball where I, I think the Beaver fans have to be really concerned. Uh, you know. Uh, just going through some basic stats again. They're deep. They're against the run. They're they're okay. They're pretty decent. They're they're similar to Oregon, kind of middle fourth in the conference um, against the rush. But again, a lot of that's against bad running teams, right? So that's a little bit skewed by their schedule. They haven't played too many teams that run the ball really well. Uh, you know, Cal sort of does. I mean, a lot of that's volume, right? UCLA has, but other than that, I mean, they've gone against a lot of teams that either don't run the ball or, or don't run the ball very effectively. So I think those stats are a little bit deceptive. Passing wise, they're, you know, middle of the conference in, in passing defense efficiency, um, third down conversions, they're middle of the conference, you know, and, and red zone touchdown, con, you know, defense, they're middle of the conference. So I, I, they're an average Pac-12 defense, which probably makes them about an average defense nationally. I mean, you know, maybe a little bit better, but you know, they're not, they're not the defense they were last year by any stretch. No, definitely not. And I, that was to be expected, right? Like they had some really experienced players like Jaden Grant, who were, who manned the safety slash nickel position uh, next to Oladapo last year. They had um, two really experienced and talented corners in right in Austin. Uh, actually, hilariously enough, the older brother of Dale in Austin, um, and, and they didn't really play guys behind him. And uh, Killy Arnold is is a good player, um, but and and Oladapo is a good player at safety. But beyond that, there's <clears throat> very limited talent in the secondary. Um, and I think that this secondary is very very fortunate that the field conditions were what they were last year last week. I mean, they had Washington had an eighteen and a half percent drop rate in that game. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's not something that would ever happen in standard conditions. Um, and so again, yeah, they lose by 20 if it's a normal weather last week in, in my, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's such a bad matchup for this secondary. Um, they have some good players though. Um, specifically, um, on the front Chatfield is, uh, kind of a, kind of an edge rush specialist for them. I think he's a good player. Um, John McCartan's a good player. Uh, <laughs> but I just gonna, I'm just going to keep it a buck here. Like th- not only is this the best offense that they've seen, the conditions, the forecast looks really, really clear and clean. This team does not have great speed um, in, in the front seven or particularly in the secondary. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of, uh, or the whole, the whole playbook is open for Will Snyder and Bo Nix in this game. How does Oregon want to win? Because they they probably can win in any of those ways. Uh, I think Oregon will be balanced. I think Oregon will just really play the numbers game, uh, try to get this defense stretching horizontally early like we do to everybody, 
uh, using the screen game and RPO yeah. game. Good dose of the running backs. I, I, and then there's going to be plenty of opportunities to get Tez and Troy involved in the downfield passing game because I think this is probably one of the worst secondaries Oregon's played this year. Uh, it just comes down to, again, you're, you're going to line up and you're going to – you're going to read the box count. You're going to read the numbers. You're going to, okay, Oregon, you're, 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 or Oregon State, you're coming up to, to load the box and stop the run game. Okay, fine. We'll take the pass. Or you're going to, you know, sit back in a, in a shell and not give up the pass. Okay. Well, here's eight yards uh, on the ground, right? It's, it's kind of what Oregon's done all year. And, and nobody's really been able to stop it, especially the last six weeks. It's just been a machine. And pick your poison because Oregon can beat you any way, any way you want to, yeah. them to to let them beat you, right? And you can't defend it all. Or, you just can't. Nobody Oregon can. Oregon can pick the personnel package they want to beat you with. They can pick the type of play, like the, like if they want to, like Oregon can screen you. Oregon can RPO you to death. Oregon can run the ball inside. Oregon can run the ball outside. They can get the backs involved in the passing game. Like wherever your mismatch exists. Uh, Will Stein has both the personnel and the capability to execute um, whatever whatever it is called for. Um, and so when I look at this game and, I, and I'm looking at an offense that on, on Oregon State's behalf, that's not particularly explosive, that's really overmanned specifically on the perimeter. Um, and then I'm looking at, a, at an Oregon offense that's executing as, at, at, as high of a level as I've ever seen an Oregon offense execute at. Um, going against a defense that's not only extremely inexperienced and banged up in the secondary, but just lacking for top end athleticism. Um, I, I see a yeah. lot of points. Um, it, yeah. I, I mean, this Oregon offense is just a machine right now. And, you know, first in points per drive, second in yards per play, first in SP plus, first in F plus, second in FEI, thirds in yards per carry rushing, sixth in yards per attempt passing, second in overall yards per play, first in sacks allowed, third in third down conversion percentage, fourth in red zone touchdown percentage, second in plays over 10 yards, fourth in plays over 30 yards. Like, it's a machine. It, in every yeah. facet of offensive game, there's not a weakness to sixth this offense. EPA per they're, pass. they're top five in every metric in the country. Top five in every metric. Yeah. That's insane. Second in EPA per rush. Uh, quality possession rate is second in the country. Points per quality possession is second in the country. The only thing that's not great is field position. <laughs> it's 50th. Everything which, else is... Which doesn't matter. Yeah, early down EPA <laughs> okay, second. Which is probably what? A, a, you know, a, the difference between 10th and 50th is probably, what, a yard yeah. and a half? Third and like fourth down success rate. 26. It's, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, this, it, it's offense is just... And that's, I think, ultimately what this game boils down to, QB, is... Oregon is going to score. They're going to score 40 or more. And can Oregon State keep up? And I think the answer, if you look at Oregon State and what they've done when they've played good defenses, is no, they can't no, keep no, up. No, it's, that's, it's absolutely not possible. The, 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 and I think that they know it because this is how they played, they played Washington the same way last week. Like The way that Oregon State stays in this game and puts themselves in a position to possibly win is they have long, time-consuming drives. They stay ahead of the chains and play efficiency offense uh, with the intent of sitting on the ball, and then they hope for turnovers. That that that's how it's right, still but, possessions through turnovers, and, and and Oregon doesn't turn the ball over, and Oregon's defense is not a defense this year that's just going to sit back and get like ran through, um, and and again, there's there's absolutely no threat of true vertical passing. 
and I'm sure there'll be some gadgets like Oregon state's going to throw the kitchen sink. Like they're not just going to come out here and die. Um, but like when I, when I, when I look at these teams and I look at the matchups, like Oregon is extraordinarily deep on the interior defensive line going up against a really banged up interior offensive line. Oregon has far better athletes in length at corner than Oregon state does at receiver. Like the matchup to me, like if I'm at Oregon state in the passing game, it has to be Velling and you try to isolate them on like Steve Stevens. But if Oregon's playing base defense in this game, I don't know if Steve Stevens is even on the field. Like I, in it, it, depending like when we look at um, when we look at Oregon State here, give me one second here and pull it back up. They play thirty-seven percent twelve personnel, so and the forty-nine percent eleven. If Oregon State's in twelve personnel, I, I think it's a complete mistake on their behalf. Uh, because all they're allowing us to do is up man, get bigger, and and sit on the run, and we're also taking our biggest liability and pass coverage off the field. Um, so I, I think I think this almost kind of forces. It'll be an interesting thing to watch in this game um, because against Washington last week, they were primarily an eleven personnel team offensively. They played seventy two percent of their snaps in eleven personnel. I think they're they're going to have to be kind of forced to do that again because if they let Oregon up, man, and bring another big body, and the quality of our next big body is substantially better than the quality of their second tight end. Yeah, and, uh, and they don't have three I, receivers. I, I'd welcome I'd welcome that matchup. And they don't have for they sure. don't have three receivers, <laughs> and all their receivers are small. So even if they want to like spray the ball out to the edge and try to get Gould or or Irish or Bolden in space, like if there's anything we've seen this year is Oregon's corners defeat blocks at a very high level and they fly to the ball and they tackle well, Oregon. And we don't give up a lot of Oregon. Yak, Oregon like, is one I of mean, the best open field tackling teams in the country. Whereas Oregon state is 131 out of 133 FBS teams in open field tackle percentage. So like we talk about like, like where like the margins in which this game is won and lost, like Oregon is Oregon. Like we get a ton of yak. We are really, really good at getting our guys in space um, and allowing them to. Yeah, make... well, I think sixty-five percent of our receiving yardage is yak or something. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, like, yeah. and then and then you flip over to the other side. And Oregon State's horrible at tackling in space. I was just going to say that they miss. They yeah, miss. They're, they're, like again, the, uh, their missed tackle rate per game is like fifteen per game or something. There's hundred and thirty-three. Really there's hundred and thirty-three teams in the FBS. Oregon State is a hundred and thirty-first out of hundred and thirty-three in open field tackling. This is a terrible matchup. It's a horrible matchup. This is terrible. Like, like they, yeah. I, I don't, I don't like. I would challenge any Oregon State fan that wants to call me a homer for this prediction. Like, I'll come out. Like, I usually don't make score predictions. Like, I, I don't see Oregon State scoring more than twenty, and I don't see Oregon scoring less than forty. Like when I when I saw this line open up at thirteen and a half, I was like, holy, this is free, because there's there's zero in a, in a clear day like we're gonna have at Odson on Friday. What is the matchup that you can reliably go to if you're Oregon State? on offense and then defensively where do you even like where is it even a break even for you talent wise against the Oregon offense yeah i think the, the what they're going to say is oh 18 straight right that's you know yeah. it, it's an emotional it. argument let's right? see it. it's, I want, it's an, I want an argument to, about last year i want right? to see yeah. you do that yeah please because yeah. I, I would wager that they're going to not be very efficient in the run game because i i think that dan lanning and, and tosh lapoy um are going to absolutely stack the box in this game and they're going to make DJ and that midget core wide receivers beat them on the outside. I mean, it is the fellowship of the ring out there. It is like we we've got nobody over five nine. <laughs> All right, QB, let's make our predictions here. So it is a. I've got this as a fourteen point line. I know it's fluctuated yeah, up and give, down a little bit. Give me, bit, the, give me alt it, line it, ducks by twenty four. 
I'm with. I think this is a blowout. I, I think Oregon's over forty. I think I, earlier I had it at forty-two twenty-seven, but I think I'm overestimating uh, Oregon State scoring. You know, you look at what Oregon's held other teams to that have much better offenses than Oregon State. So I was probably giving them some some rivalry benefit bonus points there, but mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna downgrade that based on kind of just <sighs> after, what I'm after everything that happened throughout last the week. Year, so when you can think about this, yeah. everything that happened I'm forty-five twenty. As I don't, I like we lost the game last year. We lost an opportunity to play in the Pac-12 title against these guys last year. I think that's something that's not getting talked about enough. And we get we we have an opportunity to not only win this game, but we need the style points because, the, like, while we control our own destiny to an extent, like we might be in a position where our resume is getting weighed against somebody else. And so, if we blow out another top twenty-five team, it would be very good for us. Um, and then it gets you an opportunity to get a crack at you're the one the team that you actually hate, which is Washington in the Pac-12 title game, and, and, and go get your trophy. So everybody on this team came back that came back from last year, came back with this intent. Um, and I, Oregon State is not going to get off with the BS that they've typically gotten off in these games. Uh, and, and I think this is going to be a like bloody brawl, uh, a one-sided bloody brawl where we just absolutely compress them into, into nothing. Yeah. I've got it 45 to 20 decks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Something, something in that lane. I, I, I was thinking 49, 17. So uh, I, I, I don't think this game is competitive in the second half. I think we have at least a quarter of garbage time. All right, let's get back at it. So let's go down to the desert territorial cup, your neck of the woods, Arizona still playing for a, spot in the Pac-12 title game if Oregon should should somehow lose at Autzen on Friday night. Arizona, if they beat Arizona State, will be in Vegas to take on Washington. They are a 10.5-point road favorite. How do you see this one playing out? Uh, Arizona dominating. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree with you on this. I mean, they're going to know before the game, well before the game, whether or not they're playing for a Pac-12 title game spot or not. I don't think that's going to really matter mm-hmm. um they're certainly a better football team they certainly have a lot to play for even if they're not playing for that pac-12 title game berth i mean they got a chance at a 10-win season if they were able to win this one and their bowl game um you know obviously rivalry game this is a you tell me but i think this is a really underrated rivalry in terms of how much animosity there is between the, these two teams and fan bases oh 100 like uh, i live down here so i i hear it all the time like it's actually, I would say it's probably more spicy than the Apple Cup. Like, I, I really, I don't think that I these these fan bases like each other at all. Um, so, I guess I don't know if the Apple Cup is exactly the most like heated rivalry in the in the country, but I think my point remains. Um, so I just heard something about a billboard all week long. There's some sort of billboard. Yeah, there is in downtown yeah. Phoenix. What is it, what's on this billboard? Uh, I haven't seen it myself, to be honest with you. But um, okay, I'm assuming they're talking trash, of some kind. I'm 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 a horrible reporter on this. I <laughs> it's okay. So it's I, okay. I, I like briefly heard uh, about it at work. I just heard Jed Fish was like, I don't have to give a speech. I just go point point at the bull billboard. So I assume yeah, it's Arizona State kind of brag. I mean, and, and Arizona State has had the upper hand in this in this series for most of the last you know five six years, but. Uh, I think that's going to flip today. I th- actually, Arizona won last year, didn't they? Yeah, Arizona won last year. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I think, like, if we're being honest, Arizona State's a better program. Like, it's a better job. Um, 
but I think that Arizona's Arizona because it's not a commuter school and people like there's a lot of people from Phoenix who go to Arizona for for university. Um, it has it has way more of like a Corvallis Eugene college vibe than Phoenix does because Tempe campus is the largest undergrad population in the country, and a lot of it's commuter. Um, and so it's just it's not the same. I don't think that like the community rallies around the team the same in Phoenix. Well, I could tell you it doesn't, right? Like look at attendance and things like that. Um, but none, none of that's going to matter. Arizona is just a way better football team. Um, Kenny is just out of bullets in the gun, right? Like there's just nothing. What is he supposed to do? He's got so many injuries. Um, and, and Arizona is like an, a well-oiled machine, like seeing what they did to Utah last week. Like I, I think they're going to roll. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. It's a ten and a half point spread. I don't think that's enough. No. I think Arizona has a lot to play for. Like you said, Arizona State has has run out of gas, uh, and uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get rolled in this one, even at home. All right, let's move on to that Apple Cup game. Washington is a sixteen and a half point favorite at home against the Cougars, who've kind of shown a little bit of life the last two weeks. A win, one win, one loss. A dominating victory against Colorado last week, and then the week before they kind of had a little bit of life there. So, do, do you think Washington State makes this a game in Seattle? No. Or do you think the Huskies can cover the sixteen? And Everyone's a half? expecting like like upsets this week. I am going the complete opposite direction. I think the way better teams are going to take care of business because the way better teams have so much more to lose in these games. Um, and like, if we're just being honest, Washington State always gives up against Washington. Like. Washington State plays so much harder against Oregon than they do against Washington, um, specifically when it's in Seattle. I fully expect Washington State to quit in this game and, and Washington to run it up on them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Washington has covered a spread since, like, September, but I, I do think this is the time where they finally will and they'll avoid uh, yet another one-possession game. Because uh, you're right. I mean, everything about – like, I want to pick Washington State and the 17 because Washington hasn't – beaten anyone by more than 10 in two months so it seems like the obvious pick but washington state just lays down in seattle every two years it, it it's almost it's it's comical how easy it is to predict yeah they i i can't remember i mean maybe you can spark memory for me but When's the last time that Washington State actually competed with a competent Washington team? Because the only team, the only game I can remember being competitive, like even when the Gardner Minshew year they got smoked, um, is is the twenty yeah. is the uh, is the twenty twenty season or twenty twenty one season when Jimmy Lake got fired the week before. Yeah, and they won they won in Seattle that year, but yeah, that tremendous outlier. Yeah, right? like that's um, not. So as much as I hate Washington, yeah, I'm, I'm actually it's. It's not happening. I'm actually going to go find it. Okay, so the last time before that that they like, won in Seattle won. was like, back in a, 2007. Give me a competitive score. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah, okay. In Seattle, um, nope. So 2019, it was 28 to 15. That game was never in competitive Dow. or not. Oh, wait, sorry. That was Pullman. Sorry. Uh, 2019, it was 31 to 13. 2017, it was 41 to 14. 2015, 45 to 10. Yeah, they, 2013. They just blow them out every time. <laughs> yeah, just blowout after blowout after blowout. So yeah, I'm rolling with I'm rolling with the Washington. They're gonna take care of business. They're gonna roll to 12 and 0 and head to Vegas to take on most likely the Ducks. Um, all right, Colorado at Utah. 
this is the the rivalry that's not really a rivalry <laughs> um and in utah is a 22 point home favorite that seems like a lot to me for a team that's not very explosive on yeah, this is the one game i'm not going to take the heavy favorite um i think i think utah wins this game comfortably probably by two or three scores but um i think that going past the 21 number is a bit rich for me because they, they don't i mean you never know they, they looked explosive against arizona state and maybe colorado is bad enough but um i think i think colorado will keep playing yeah i I, I, I was looking at this, I'm going like, how does Utah beat Colorado by 22? Because I, you know, Colorado kind of a little bit low, but the last couple of weeks they've, they've seemed to a little bit been a little bit better on offense again, a little bit more competitive in some of these games the last couple of weeks. And Utah is just like, like we said earlier, running out of gas. I mean, they just got smoked in the desert last week with, with Pac-12 title aspirations still in play. And, but then again, like what they just destroyed was it Stanford or something like 55 to three, a couple or Arizona state a couple weeks ago. So I don't know. It's, it's, I could certainly, it's possible Utah could cover this 22, but I, I'm going to go with Colorado to cover it. But yeah, Utah will win for sure. Great. All right, let's move on. Cal UCLA uh, rivalry game here. This is uh UCLA is the home favorite by nine. Team UCLA. <clears throat> Obviously fresh off their win at, against USC at USC last week. Cal's been playing a little bit better the last couple of weeks. They, they destroyed Stanford, and they're going down to the Rose Bowl, a nine-point underdog. Yeah, give me UCLA. Um, UCLA's defense is the best thing in this game by a lot, and I think that Cal's run game is completely fraudulent. Like Whenever they play against any resistance, like any kind of talent, they lose, um, they, they lose the line of scrimmage pretty decisively. So I think... Uh, I, I don't see, I don't foresee any issues on behalf of UCLA stopping this Cal offense. Yeah, just what I don't know, UCLA has just been such a hard team for me to predict this year. It feels like every time I think I can trust them, then they do something that 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 you know erodes that trust. And then every time I think I'm written them off, they you know win by twenty against USC. So, but I'm going to roll with you. I I do think that. That they're, I think they're gonna they're gonna rise up in this one. I think they're they'll probably win by double digits, which means they cover the spread. And uh, I'm gonna go with the Bruins here. And then does that make it harder to fire Chip Kelly? Does he still get fired? Do they keep him? I don't. It'll be eight and four, right? If they win. Yeah, I don't know if they fire him at that point. But again, I I, I think that's dumb logic. Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna fire a guy because you don't think that yeah. the future of the program is going the right direction, then fire him. Like to me, like winning two games doesn't shouldn't shouldn't change your projection on that front, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's 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 very short with how incompetent both of the teams decisions. are, right? Like Cal's yeah. not anywhere near a bowl game, and you, yeah, and USC's lost five out of six, yeah, and US and almost lost six out of yeah, six. And USC's bad, so yeah. All right. Uh, not as a half of a Pac-12 game. Stanford at home hosts the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and Stanford is a 26-point underdog in this one. Do you think uh, Notre Dame's going to cover that? Yes, or do you think Stanford's Notre Dame's going to keep it bludgeon them to death with a with a dull object. Yeah, I'm with you. When I first saw this line, I thought, oh, this is too many points. You, you know, I, I don't, Notre Dame's offense isn't that great. But then I look at when you when Notre Dame has played like 
bad teams like Stanford, and they actually have rolled up the score pretty high. No, yeah, so they, they, I'm with you. Notre Dame's going to roll this one up. When, when they can just sit on the run game, it's also like senior night for Notre Dame. When they could, when they can just like run the ball at will, which they will be absolutely be able to do in this game because they have a very good run game, um, and and then they get to be balanced with Sam Hartman. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't have an elite receiver core against really good competition, but they have a receiver core that's totally capable of taking advantage of a secondary the quality of Stanford's. And so, um, where Stanford's offense come from, I have no clue. I think this is going to be like a like a thirty nine or forty to seven game or three game. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let's go to the big game, the big game, Ohio state at Michigan, 11 and O versus 11 and O, um, you know, big 10 East title on the line, uh, probable big 10 title on the line, probable playoff spot on the line. Uh, Michigan's won the last two in a row. As we know, Ohio state's on the road in this one. Michigan is a three point home favorite here. I like the Buckeyes. I think they're going to win this game outright. Yeah, I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll with Michigan. Um, I, I think this is a really interesting matchup. Both teams have very good defenses. Um, I actually think Michigan's gets more credit, and I think Ohio State's defense is better. Uh, but Agreed. I trust JJ McCarthy more than I trust Kyle McCord, and I'm not saying that to say I trust JJ McCarthy a ton. I know that he's hurt. Um, and I know that, that that Michigan's a little banged up on the offensive line, but I just I don't trust JJ McCarthy at all. I I think he's none. I I don't think he's very good. Um, but like he, here's the deal: if JJ McCarthy can be good on two or three plays to Marvin Harrison Jr., that's probably enough for Ohio State to win this game. Like when you look at the over under, this is the lowest over under in like ten years. Wait, wait, wait! You got the wrong you got the wrong quarterback for the wrong team, don't you? I said Kyle, JJ plays for Michigan. I said Kyle McCord, I thought. Oh, it's okay. Oh, no, you meant McCord. I That's meant Kyle, okay. okay, yeah. We I meant Kyle McCord. They're both so mid that they just kind of blend together. Um, but I, I think, like, if Kyle McCord can be accurate on two or three, like, good explosives, um, it, it might be enough for Ohio State. Travion Henderson's running really well. I didn't think much of this Ohio State offensive line coming into the season. They've looked better in recent weeks, but it's been against really bad competition. So is it actually better uh, is my question. And so we'll see. I think that um, in terms of like a complement of healthy players, Ohio State's probably the healthier team of the two. Um, but I just – I don't know what to make of, J- of uh, Kyle McCord. I almost did it again, uh, specifically on the road in the big house. So I'm going to take the team. If this was three and a half, I'd be going Ohio State. So uh, I'm going to stick on the key number, and I'm going to take Michigan to cover the three-point at home. Uh, and win this game. Yeah, I'm going with the Buckeyes. I think they're with Severson Henderson got back. I think their offense is playing at a better level. Um, again, they have the best player on the field with Marvin Harrison. And quite frankly, since Michigan can't cheat anymore, they're, they have not played as well in the last two games. So I think that's a factor here. I think their their lack of cheating ability will hinder them in this game. And and I think Ohio State's going to win. Yeah, I mean, I I don't feel super confident in this game. This isn't a game that I would bet. That you would bet, yeah. Um, <laughs> if if All I right. had any confidence in Kyle McCord, I'd take Ohio State. I just i I think he's like decisively the worst of these two quarterbacks. I mean, clearly Michigan has no confidence in JJ McCarthy. I mean, they're they're not letting him like I've seen. They're not putting him in any kind of position to to uh, outside of very safe ones. Well, he has a he has a throwing shoulder injury, so he's playing hurt. 
Not right. So I did not know that. I learned that today. So, um, and if if that's true, like apparently he was like grimacing in pain as he was throwing every ball in warmups last week. Like it's bad. Um, and so that could be a thing too, because last last year, basically all of Michigan's points came on six explosive plays. Uh, and this is a much better Ohio State defense than that defense was a year ago. So um, the the health of the of the two hurt left tackles um, will be important in this game. Because if, if Ohio State can keep Michigan behind the chains, I think Ohio State wins. But again, I'm just gonna I'm gonna err on the side of uh, taking the home team um, at a pick'em spot. Fair enough. Let's go down to Austin, uh, Texas Tech. Kind of interesting. I had no idea they were six and five. I just kind of thought they were like three and eight or something. But they've they're actually bowl eligible now. They've won their last two games in close fashion. Not against great teams, but they're six and five. They go on the road to Texas. Longhorns looking to stay in the playoff chase, and and kind of honestly, I think I think Texas needs a statement game. They've been kind of squeaking out wins. The committee hasn't been impressed. They probably need some help um, if they're going to make it into that top four, even if they win out. And I think this is a game where Texas needs to roll one up. Um, do you think they can do it? They're a twelve and a half point favorite. I think they can. I just don't think they will. I'm I'm going to take Texas Tech. To keep it within 10. Gotcha. I'm going to pick Texas. I do think they cover the spread here. I, you know, I think they're going to be highly motivated. I think they need, they know they need not to just win, but they need to actually put the hammer down on somebody and, and start earning some of those eye test points. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to do it in this game. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick them. All right, let's move on down in the Bayou, Louisiana State hosting Texas A&M. The Tigers are an 11.5-point favorite in this one. Obviously, they are feeding Jaden Daniels every run and every pass imaginable to, to try to win the Heisman, which seems to be their, their whole whole mission right now as they come down the home stretch of the season. They're an 11.5-point favorite over the Aggies. What do you think? Uh, I'm taking Texas A&M. I think that the defense is good enough to keep this game closer. My only concern with that is that it might be the defense might be good enough to get some stops, but if they spend the whole game on the field because the Texas A&M offense can't do anything, um, it could be become like just a, a war of attrition, which LSU will score points if you give them enough possessions. So uh, I'm taking I'm taking A&M. Uh, I'm trusting the A&M offense to at least get like 21 in this game against probably the worst defense in the SEC West. So we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, LSU's defense is terrible. I, I'm going to go the other way on this one because I, I think ATM's ATM Texas. I call them that. Texas A&M I think is a is a distracted football team. They're you know they're fired their coach. They're wondering who the next coach is going to be. Some guys are rumored to be sitting out, looking at the portal, trying to figure out how much their next NIL deal is going to be. And I think that's going to be a factor here. I think you can combine that with LSU being at home. And LSU being motivated to try to get Jaden Daniels 1,800 yards in this game alone, I think that's going to bode well for the Tigers, and they're going to cover. Fair enough. All right, two more. Let's go down to the Iron Bowl, Alabama-Auburn. This one is in Auburn, Alabama. The Crimson Tide is a 14-and-a-half-point road favorite in the Iron Bowl. I'm going to roll with Auburn. I don't think they're good enough to win. I don't think they're good at all, but it's – it's just the Iron Bowl, and it's at home, and 
It's going to be ugly. They're not going to win, but I think 14 and a half yeah. is probably too much. I promised myself I wasn't going to do the whole, like, well, it's the rivalry game thing this year. Like, I'm just going to take the teams that I think are actually better. Uh, so I'm going to roll with the Tide because while I'm assuming we're going to get a much better effort from Auburn this week, like, it wasn't just an effort problem last week. It was also that they're not very good, uh, specifically on offense. They just have no they have no firepower right now. Um you know what? I'm changing my pick. I forgot about last week. I forgot about that. You're right. Alabama all the way. Roll Tide. And like, I think this line has been impacted by that game and is higher because of it. Um, and like, we'll find out quite a bit about, even though Auburn's not a great team, we're going to find out quite a bit about this Bama team on the road and Jordan Hare. Uh, it's a tough place to play. Very tough place to play. And that is, I would argue that that is probably like, I know Michigan and Ohio State really don't like each other. I think that is the hated, most hated rivalry in college football. Like, I think those two fan bases, those two teams hate each other on a level that nobody else can touch. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. Okay, we're both going tied there. We got one more. We're going down to the swamp. Night game. Uh, Florida's five and six, playing for a bowl berth. Florida State coming to town, play no Jordan Travis. Honestly, they can't afford to lose because they are not going to make the playoffs with a loss. They're out if they lose this one or the, the ACC title game against Louisville. So it's a high-stakes game. It is a six-and-a-half-point road favorite for the Seminoles. Do you think they do it? Yes, I do, because both teams are playing with backup quarterbacks, so it's largely equalized, and in which case, which quarterback has the better designed offense, which quarterback has the better supporting cast, um, and which quarterback has the better defense? And I think I think Florida State is the easy answer for all of those. Um, and I'm I'm not trying to disrespect the environment in the swamp because I know it's one of the most hostile places to play. I know this is a very heated rivalry, and like you can toss out a lot of things, but um, I I just think that Florida State's overall quality will show in this game, uh, and I think that they probably have the better of the two backups. He's certainly the more experienced of the two backups. So uh, give me Florida State. I'm going to go the other way on this one. I, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a, a field goal, one possession type of game. So if, if you're going to give me Florida at home and six and a half points, I, I think they're probably going to turn, you know, turn the ball, turn, have, force some turnovers. I think their crowd's going to be into it. I think it's going to be a raucous environment, and I think they're going to muck the game up and probably play better than they have most of this year and, and keep it close. I don't know that they win, but I think they're going to cover at least. So I'm going to go with the Gators. Fair enough. All right, QB, you got time for some listener questions? Yeah, a little bit of time. I don't have a ton. I got to get packed up here. It's 10 o'clock, so uh, I got an early okay. flight tomorrow. We will, I, we, uh, I put out the call earlier today, so we'll, we'll take some questions. Uh, just preemptively, I got a lot of questions about what's going to happen in the Pac-12 title game. We're not answering those. Like, we'll talk about those. We need we'll, if you to answer talk about them, next week. Questions, <laughs> right. If you, if you ask those questions, we'll talk about them on next week's pod. Also, I got a lot of questions about, you know, what or what what's Oregon going to do in the transfer portal after the season's over? What what position do they need to get next year? We're going to talk about those after the season. We got lots of time to talk about I mean, those. I don't so mind taking I'm going to focus these questions. I don't mind taking a brief second to give like a general overview of my thoughts on that. Or, well, all right, we'll we, we'll get we'll see what time we got. I want to focus on the questions that are more right pressing uh, to the here and now. Fair enough. It's basically, you know. So, but if we have time, we'll get to those. Okay, first question. Um. This is a good one from our friend Hayward Hawk. Question for the show. With recruiting as great as it has been and going to be, I'm interested on your takes in regards to our scout team 
it seems that the iron sharpens iron motto is appropriate here when you have a great depth showing your starters that look with the other great players my example for this game coming up would be dante dowdell showing the starters what martinez will be like this is a great question yeah we've talked about this a little bit in the past but go we ahead haven't actually when i met hayward hawk and um he so graciously gave uh myself and my father a tour of Hay- the new hayward field um this is something that he and I talked about quite a bit. And so I, I'm glad that he asked it because I think it's a, a very pertinent conversation to be having, um, but specifically this time of year um, as teams depth are, is challenged. Um, but your the quality of your scout team absolutely matters. And it not only does it matter in the sense that you're getting a good look during the week. Um, and in, in some cases, I, I know Oregon does a lot of good on good in their practices during the week, which is not always the case for teams. What I mean by that is ones versus ones, two versus twos. Um, and, and, and in those cases, like, there are very few teams that Oregon can play defensively um, that are going to give them a better look than the Oregon offense and vice versa. Um, specifically, when you talk about, like, the, the diversity of scheme and then the talent. Um, but then when you talk about the scout teams with these young players, not only are you getting a good look because you have a lot of really talented young players who aren't in the two deep that are on these scout teams – uh, but you also are developing those young players because they're playing against a super high quality uh, first first run unit on offense and defense. And so what ends up happening is you have this this monster that that's feeding itself because you have you you have a bunch of different things that are all pulling in the same direction. You have a, a, a fantastic team that's blowing teams out, getting into garbage time. You have a ton of young talented players that you've recruited that are getting really quality reps and developing a lot over the course of the season because of this, the, the real live snaps that they're getting during games, whether it be in garbage time or because they're breaking into that like top 22 on either side of the ball. Then during practice during the week, you have those players that are developing during the games that are giving each other good looks during practice. And, and that's kind of where the iron sharpens iron thing comes in. You have two really competitive top end units when they do good on good sessions challenging each other in ways that probably some of the opponents, not probably that, that legitimately most of the opponents on the schedule can't challenge you. Um, and what ends up happening is you just have accelerated development of really good players. And, and, and that's, that's something that can only be fostered through um, talent acquisition of high school prospects. Yeah. I, I mean, well said, I, the only thing I'd add to that is like, I talk about this a lot. There's a proven model for how you win championships. And I don't mean conference championships. I mean national championships, right? And this is – Oregon is following that model, right? You, you look at what Georgia has been doing. You look what Alabama has been doing. You look at what Ohio State has been doing. You, you look at when LSU is rolling, what they're doing, right? It's recruit class over class over class. You stack that depth. You stack that second team, third team, scout team. Right. And then it's just iron sharpens iron, good on good, cream rises to the top. And that depth not only shows up like we've been talking about all year and the fact that we're rotating three units on the defensive line all game long and everybody's fresh, but it's also that practice time. It's also those things. And that's how your team gets better than the other teams out there because you're just you're just competing at a different game at that point. Yeah, like when when if you're Steven Jones and you're going against Brandon Dorless every day in practice, or if you're uh if you're Josh Connerly going against Jordan Birch every day in practice, like that's a that's a tougher matchup in a lot of cases than what you're gonna get on Saturday. Um and so what what's being created here through both talent acquisition and then this accelerated development cycle through through the, the competition that exists on campus 
um, and, and the quality of execution on Saturdays that's creating opportunities for young players is you, you just you end up with Tuesday practice being a lot harder than Saturday games. Yep, exactly right. All right, Yovo uh, Ducks asks, we know that Dan and the staff do not care about stats, but fans and on some level the players themselves probably do. In addition to the way the staff rotates bodies to manage reps, specifically on the defensive side, do you think that the way Dan, Tosh, Hampton rotate people at different positions, uh, e.g. Doral is playing three-tech and five-tech sometimes, does that impact how they get classified or recognized by PFF and others? Doralis was just recognized as the leading DT in the Pac-12 and quarterback pressures with 39, but he and Birch and others move inside and outside depending on the down distance, etc., Feels like Rogers, Taki, and Popo are more the traditional DTs, where Doris and Burge rotate in and out, and Mateo, Tuiati, and Purchase stick primarily outside edge. In the end, it doesn't matter because as a team, we generate pressures and our sacks are spread out. The epitome of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, I'm not really. I mean, I think there's a lot of statement in here. I think the the general. If I would generalize the question, I think it's, um, you know, our. Or should we be, or, or is the staff or are the players worried that because of the way that they're moving people around and playing so many players, is that impacting their ability to get recognized, you know, statistically or in all conference teams or some of these other publications? And you know, I, I guess my answer to that would be, I don't think, I don't think the staff cares. Uh, certainly, Dan doesn't care, and and you know, I can tell you who doesn't care. It's the the NFL scouts don't care. Like Trayvon Walker yeah. was the first pick in the draft, and I think his best season was seven sacks at Georgia. Like, like quality, like the quality shows up on film. Like, when when again, if if your goal is to win a championship, you need to be able to play twenty two to thirty guys on defense because you need to be able to keep guys fresh, rotate bodies, um, and and be multiple in the way that you attack teams. And so, I, I understand this. And I don't think that you're complaining about it at all. Um, special players will get the production regardless. Um, is it going to be as extreme as the production would be if Oregon played more of a base defense and didn't rotate as much? And um, no, but um, I don't like it's, it's certainly not going to affect their draft stock. It's only going to keep them healthier and fresher. Um, and it's going to, it's going to make the quality of the snaps that they do play better. Yep. All right. Here's a question from Victor. Uh, how do you see the civil war continuing and is Oregon state bound to join the mountain West? Uh, so I'll start off, you know, J- I'll, James Creppy, I believe is the first one to report that uh, Oregon and Oregon state are trying to negotiate the, a, a continuance of the civil war. Uh, so actually, so it doesn't stop. So it start it continues next year, 2024 and 2025. It sounds like the, the biggest hurdle is Oregon clearing space on their schedule. They're trying to do some stuff reportedly with the Boise state games over the next two years to make that happen. So I do see it continuing. I do see it continuing as a home and home. Um, I'm not, whether I'm in favor of that model or not, I don't think matters. I think the school is. Um, I think they're they're interested in continuing that. So I think that's probably what will happen. It's just a matter of getting there. Oregon State is not bound to join the Mountain West. I, I think ultimately what Oregon State and Washington State are going to try to do for at least the next year, probably two, is compete in, in what they're going to call the Pac-12 conference, but have two teams, and then they'll have a scheduling agreement almost very likely with the Mountain West to get games uh, and they're, I think what they're trying to do is keep the appearance that they're not joining the mountain West alive for legal financial and 
optics reasons with things like the playoff committee and rankings and voters and stuff like that. But the reality is, is what's beyond two years. There's, they're, they're going to be in a conference that looks very much like the Mountain West, whether it would, no matter what it's called, because there's not a Big 12 invite coming. There's not an ACC invite coming. There's not another realignment that's happening in two years. So they really don't have options. Um, so they'll either join the Mountain West or they'll the Mountain West will join them. And I don't, it's just a matter of when and what they call it. Anything to add? No, you're way better at that stuff than I am. I'll just let you handle that. Okay, uh, these next two questions are related to the playoffs, so I'll ask them both together, and I'll let you go first on this one. Um, I see a lot of Alabama fans chirping about their wins versus Oregon wins. Never seem to mention the, that they lost at home to a team that lost to a two-loss team. I think Oregon ranked ahead of Texas and Alabama is correct right now. Do you agree? And then the second question is, do you think there is a scenario in which Oregon wins out and still gets left out of the playoffs? Possibly, but highly unlikely on the second half. Um, in terms of like Alabama, I, I think I would argue that other than Oregon and Georgia, Alabama is playing the best of anybody in the country right now. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say, now, is Alabama's um, on paper uh, – strength of schedule propped up by the fact that they're leaving they're inexplicably leaving Tennessee ranked at 25th every week despite losing every game um, yes um, but Bama Bama's dominating teams they're murder balling teams and that's why I think this Auburn game is going to be really interesting because if they don't do that I think it, I think it hurts the case for Alabama now <clears throat> if Alabama wins the SEC the SEC champion will 100% be in the playoff um, I think that the worst case scenario like the, the the and on multiple fronts because I think it would hurt the quality of the playoff games too is if Florida State somehow like wins out and doesn't lose one of their next two games because that's the only situation where Oregon could potentially get left out in favor of either Texas or Alabama um, and that would one hundred percent be based on Texas's head to head win over Alabama um, and so because uh, at this point the Big Ten's in and the SEC's in whether it's Georgia or Alabama um, or whether it's um, uh, Michigan or Ohio State, Michigan, or, they're, they're going to yeah. be in. And I think yep. um, Oregon being ranked above Texas is a good sign. Texas's next two games against Tech and Oklahoma State are not nearly the quality of Tex- of Oregon's games against um, against uh, Oregon State and Washington, and specifically Oregon's opportunity to avenge their only loss of the season. If they could do it definitively in that Pac-12 title game, I really don't see a situation where Oregon gets left out. Um, but style points could matter in this um, when you're splitting hairs between resumes uh, and, and and Texas's best win, in my opinion, even if Oregon avenges that loss would probably be viewed as by the committee as better than Oregon's best win. Uh, because I, If Alabama wins out, for sure. Yeah, if Alabama yeah. wins out. If Alabama loses in the SEC championship game or if they don't look impressive against Auburn and then get blown out by Georgia, I think that argument goes out the window. Uh, and, and, and really – uh, by the end of the season, especially if Utah takes care of business this week, even if Oregon beats Oregon State, I think we're going to end up seeing at least two teams. Well, you'll see three ranked teams on Oregon's resume if they win out. So, um, and I don't know that I don't know that Texas will have that at the end of the season after conference championship week, uh, yeah. based off of where the Big Twelve teams currently sit and what's left on their schedules. So, uh, long, long answer um, to a somewhat complex question, but I think. I think for the most part, Oregon's really safe as long as they win and win convincingly to finish the season. 
the only situation I could see where Oregon's in the tough spot is if Alabama wins the SEC um, and Oregon doesn't look convincing in the next two games. Yeah, uh, th- yeah. The scenario that is is potentially problematic is Alabama wins the SEC and Texas and Florida State both went out. So again, I'm not even sure that Oregon would be out in that scenario, but it is the the one scenario where it's possible. I, I if I had to guess, I would I think the committee right now would love to have Alabama ranked at six, Oregon at seven, and Texas at eight, but they can't justify it no. because of the head to head. And so they're kind of right now in this limbo of like they they definitively think Oregon's better than Texas, and I think I I think most non Texas fans would probably agree with one hundred percent. I mean, um, and so and then and then because Texas beat Alabama, they can't justify putting Bama ahead of Texas. So they're kind of stuck in this like six, seven, eight, which we've seen the entire time between those three teams. I think if you're Oregon, you watch next Tuesday. And if if Texas jumps ahead of Oregon, like then worry. That's that's the and I you know I was. And I don't think they will because I think they've been pretty consistent. Now, they do have a common opponent this week. So if Texas boat races Texas Tech and then the committee can say, well, they boat raced Texas Tech and Oregon barely beat them. But so the, the bigger you know, thing is this, a, is that like, it's very – well, it's 100% likely that if Washington wins this week, Washington will be three in the playoff rankings. So Oregon's yeah. going to be playing the third-ranked team in the playoff rankings, and Oklahoma State's probably going to be somewhere in the mid-teens. I, I, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that – if if they're if they're going to move Texas ahead of Oregon, it will be this week. That because they can't justify it after the conference title game. Yeah, right. And I don't even know that they How can, can justify, justify it after this, week this week when Oregon's playing. A, I don't a think they problem. can. I'm just saying if they want to game the system so don't that they that, 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 or, that they can justify. What? Don't get mad. Don't get snappy <laughs> with me, boy. No, I'm just saying that if if they want to create the scenario where they can they can move Texas out of war because what I think that what they'd be worried about is in that that scenario is well we have to put Bama in and then they're going to feel like well then we also have to put Texas in but we've had Oregon ahead of Texas and Oregon just had a better win than Texas on championship game Sunday so how do we justify jumping them all of a sudden so that's why they would do it this week they would set it up ahead of time and again, I'm not saying they will. I'm saying that's I'm what just, to watch for. I'm just for. saying is like I don't. I, there's there's zero way that you're. How can you justify beating a, a six and six team and moving a team ahead of a team that's already ranked ahead of of Texas when they're beating a top fifteen team? I, I just told you how they they'll sell it any way they can. I, again, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying like if it's going especially to happen, especially when it will Texas be has been week. playing with their food against a bunch of crappy teams for the last I, six weeks. Man, you're 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 arguing with somebody who agrees with you. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, laying out the scenario to worry about. I'm not saying I'm advocating for I, it. I don't. I don't think that scenario is actually something to worry about. Is what I'm making the point of. Is I, I, I think that's a uh, I, yeah. I don't unbelievably I don't think it unlikely is. scenario. In which case, if Oregon's Agreed. ranked higher, then they certainly will be ranked higher after conference championship games because Oregon will. If, if Oregon wins, they will have beat the third ranked team because one of Ohio State and Michigan will be dropping. I, I get it. <laughs> Believe me, the I've question all this is: out is where does the loser? I mean, it, it might depend on score, but where, like, when one of Ohio State, and Michigan has a loss, where do they? How far do they? Where fall? do they file yeah. into this I, cluster? That's that's what I and nobody's been at, talking about that on any of the podcasts or any of the post post game shows, which I find fascinating because I feel like if if Ohio State loses, now let's just assume the game is close either way, right? And if Ohio State loses, I don't. I think they stay ahead of Oregon for now. And then Oregon will have an extra data point that'll jump them over them. Yeah, I actually a week think later. they would come in behind Oregon ahead of Bama and and, te- and Texas. And the reason is is because Oregon would be getting a quality win this week 
while those two teams wouldn't because they like no matter like even if they blow them out which they which they probably should in both cases they're beating bad teams yeah i just think i think i think they respect ohio state a lot so i think they might make them the highest one loss team in that scenario i think michigan would fall further because they they really only have one one win against Penn State and nothing else to speak of on the resume. So. Yeah, you might be right. Actually, I, um, I can see that. And I, at, at the end of the day, like I'm, like whoever wins that game between Michigan and Ohio State will be two next week, possibly one. Yes. Um. Yes. And and I think two. I think Georgia will stay at one. And then I think Washington will be three. Um. And Florida State will be four, unless Florida yep. State loses. Like yep. and like honestly, that's kind of like no disrespect to any Florida State fans that might potentially be listening to the show, but. I'm, that's what I'm rooting for. I think we, Florida State. I think everybody in the country outside of Florida State wants to see them lose because it, it's they're just it not, the, four best they're not teams the same in. team without Jordan Travis, and you want to see the four best. In teams. my opinion, like and and honestly, <sighs> you're going to have to put a 13 and 0 Florida State in, but you're also going to know like you're keeping a better team out. If well, you and they're going to be the four seed, and they're going to get absolutely slaughtered by Georgia in the first playoff game. Right. Like that's exactly what's going to happen with a backup quarterback. Like, if they had Jordan Travis, like I, I think it's a different conversation, right? But like with Rodemaker at quarterback, I don't see how that's a competitive game. Uh, another playoff-related question: Matt Priest asks, "How is Tennessee ranked and Utah not?" It seems like blatant SEC bias. Yep. yep, you nailed it. It doesn't seem to have affected Oregon's current ranking, but could it in the final rankings? I don't think this is so much about. I don't think this is necessarily going to hurt Oregon. Well, the the Tennessee part won't. Um, I I do think the Utah Utah could come back if they beat Colorado. I think they could sneak back in, especially depending on where Oregon's sitting and and what the committee's looking at, and Washington for that matter, right? I think Utah could come back into that twenty five spot. You know, as these games get played out over the next couple of weeks, to to give Oregon and or Washington a a quote unquote top twenty five win. Tennessee being ranked at all is an absolute joke. It's it's an absolute just laughable joke if you look at who they've beaten kentucky's their best win on the year or utsa i mean it and they've gotten murder balled by four teams uh, it, they're just it's an absolute joke yeah agreed i i don't t- tennessee's best piece of their resume is they've lost to good teams but they haven't been competitive games so um yeah yeah i have no idea uh duck van dan asked how similar or different do you guys anticipate the civil war versus last year's i think we talked about that so i don't good question i think we talked about that at length at the beginning of the show our buddy key says who will step up at safety down this last stretch of games well i mean it seems pretty clear what we what we see is what we get we got three safeties that are playing and i, I guess we saw a little bit of of damon david in this last game but I, I don't anticipate that to be a regular occurrence probably yeah um, more of a what success comes other programs wanting our coaches what coaches or how many do you anticipate being hired away I don't I don't want to go names zero I'd, I'd say it was probably one or two really no you think so not really think more no think less? I, I don't who would get I mean well I guess I would say one or two that turn over I'm not saying they necessarily get hired away how about I that I gotcha I could see one coach possibly leaving um, but I don't think either of these coordinators are getting head coaching jobs this year. So that's typically where the attrition no. comes unless it's like should be nice initiated be by nice. landing himself. Nice to have some continuity for once. Uh, which one beaver would you take from their current roster to help the ducks next season? If a beaver were to transfer, <laughs> uh, uh, um, well, the, the player I would actually want is going to go to the pros. 
Fuaga. Um, and I'd probably play, yeah, him, I'd play him at guard for us. Um, I guess Damian Martinez. Like, Yeah, embarrassment of riches uh, there, but yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, there's no one on it's defense, one. so it has to be an offensive player. Martinez would be the player. Um, a related question. What are the chances that DJU is Ducks quarterback one next year? Zero. Uh, zero. I don't, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say um, zero because it's not, an, I'll say 0.1%. Okay. 1%. <laughs> uh, East Coast Duck, how likely is it that Knicks wins the Heisman and what does Knicks need to do to win the Heisman? Knicks needs to play well the next two weeks and win the next two weeks. And I think he wins the Heisman. Yeah, you, the, that the first thing is the the team has to win both games. Yeah, but he needs uh, and he needs then, to yeah, play he well. Has, he has to be a do, he has to be a dominant reason why in both those games for sure. Yeah, and I, like he could get some help. Like if if A and M does what I was what I predicted earlier and keeps it close, and they they slow down the LSU offense because LSU is going to be sitting at home on conference championship week. So Jane Daniels will have zero opportunity to capture voters, while Oregon Washington will probably pull. Seven, eight million, nine million viewers um, as the only game on yeah. Friday night. So that's going to be a prime opportunity for Knicks to, to gobble up the Heisman vote while Jaden Daniels sits at home. East Coast Duck also asked if the Ducks make the playoff and get the winner of the Big Ten, which I, I, I think I would love to see in the Rose Bowl. Who would you rather play, Ohio State or Michigan? Uh, give me Michigan. Yeah, I think Michigan's an easier matchup for Oregon, but I think Oregon could beat both teams. Yeah, Michigan, well, I, I think we could, but I'd rather play Michigan. Michigan uh, offensively isn't as variable and multiple as as Ohio State. They also don't have the talent on the outside that scares you. Like their receivers, yeah, they don't have they don't have Harrison and, and Igbuka. So uh, give me that matchup. Yeah, I mean, and like even like those two guys. I, like yeah, take those two off the table. I still think that Carnell Tate's better than anybody that Michigan has, including Roman Wilson. Looking ahead to the future of the Ducks. What do you think is more important, an elite defense and an above-average offense or the inverse? Uh, elite offense and above-average defense. Yes, I agree, but I think I think that being elite in both is what's required to win titles. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason why you look at most like most of these advanced models, SP+, plus, F, F plus, those things. They, they, like, the amount that's weighted to offense versus defense is, is about two to one. So it it's uh, – and we've seen that play out over the last 10 years of college football, right? Like, you have to be able to score. Yeah, if you don't have a lead quarterback uh, play, times. you're not winning. And a lead quarterback play will be relative to what the other quarterbacks are that year. So, like, this year, a lead quarterback play is lesser than it was a year ago um, with C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young in, in, uh, playing um, on top teams, whereas this year, like, Nick's – Knicks is probably Knicks or Beck are probably the two best quarterbacks on on elite teams this year. <laughs> yes, agreed. that's like that's a Sorry, pretty. I was laughing at it. I was looking ahead into the next question, our, our future question, laughing here. <laughs> also, like kind of funny that like Sorry. Nick, no, just I love Bo Nix and I think Carson Beck's really good, but comparing those two guys to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud is like, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a step down this year at the t- at the top level of the of the sport. Um, ZMac, do you think Tess Johnson will break a thousand yards by the end of the season? Do you think we will have a Troy like wide receiver next year, or possible multiple thousand yard type dudes? 
Um, and FIBU must be the new team motto going forward. Love the show. Listen to them all. Keep killing it and go Ducks. Thank you. Uh, so Tez is 190 yards short. Uh, he's got at least three games. So, yeah, I'd say he gets 190 yards in three games. Yeah, as long as he stays healthy. And then um, I guess at least two Troy games. Troy Franklin, like, are you going to go out in the portal? We're not going to have a Troy next yeah, year. You're probably not going to be able to go get a first-round pick in the portal or a late first, early second-round pick like Troy will most likely be in the portal. Um It'd be awesome if you could. Like if you can get a Keon Coleman, then yeah. Uh, but I think that what you're hoping for is that you close strong at receiver in this class. You see guys like Casper and Dickey develop, and then you get a, a very good, but definitely not Troy-level player out of the portal. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, FIBU. Yeah, FIBU, FIBU, FIBU rocks. I want a FIBU t-shirt. Um, you can order a FIBU t-shirt. Oh, I can't. Oh, I've, yeah, you can. Okay. I'll get you one. Sounds good. Um, is there, let's see. Uh, <laughs> this is what I checked about. Garage Garage Talk with Jason Allen asks, if we all pitch in for a non-clicky, noisy mouse for Doug, will he use it? <laughs> 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 yes, my mouse sometimes makes uh, appearances on the show. So I definitely need to work on that. I guess I could get a non-clicky, noisy mouse. So apologies to the, sh- to the listeners for that. I will uh, we'll get Doug a track see what pad. I can do. <laughs> No, I can't use trackpads. I hate those things. I'm old school. I'm old. I'm old school. Yeah, like, I need a mouse. And you would like you would like bring your hand from like a foot above it to click, so you just like smash it, and it would still make noise. Oh, look at him. He's now you're trolling. All you're right. reducing the quality of the show to troll. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Doug. Uh, if Spencer asks if we are down Florence Pleasant and Austin in the DB room, are you concerned against OSU or UW? I- well, I mean, we've been down. Pleasant and Austin has haven't been in the rotation all year long. So, I mean, outside of depth, if someone else goes down, um, you know, losing them doesn't necessarily hurt on its own. I I don't anticipate Florence being out. I it sounds like he practiced this week, um, and if he's out, I'm not worried about him against OSU. Whoever we play, Cole Martin's very good. You know, you know, this is the great. We talked about this a few weeks ago when a lot of these guys missed, uh, you know, part of that USC game. Right, we were playing with. We were playing with Bridges, and we were playing with Manning, and we were playing with Cole Martin. Reed, no, uh, you know, for Nico, Reed, Cole Martin Reed Nico Reed, yeah. Martin doesn't play corner. Yeah, sorry, Nico Reed. Cole Martin was more this past week. So there's a lot. Of, we've got a lot of guys. So I'm concerned. I'm not concerned about OSU. Uh, certainly, if you get to Vegas, you want all your best uh, corners available against uh, against Washington. Agreed. Um, it matters against Washington. It does not matter against Oregon State. I don't. I, I think our fourth and fifth corner are good enough to stop the Oregon State passing game. Um, several questions about the Pac-12 title game. We'll get to those next week. Michael asks, any ru- updates or rumors about the facility, stadium upgrades and renovations? For me personally, I would like to see more concessions, upgrades, and more premium seat options. I presume all of those things will be included in, in any odds and renovations. I haven't heard any recent rumors. I don't have that, anything. But I presume it will be happening. Yeah, I don't have anything super solid. Um, but like, if you look at what was done um, to Reser or some of the other stadiums uh, for like 170 million bucks, I'd expect that Oregon's budget when the odds and revamp comes around is going to be probably five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten x that. So. Um, it, it, well, probably not ten. I don't think it's gonna be one point seven billion, but it, it, it's probably gonna be close to a billion dollar renovation if it happens. So we'll see. 
Yeah. Uh, how many more? How many? We got a lot more questions. How many more do you want to take? Uh, Give me a number. Two. Two more. Okay. I'll try to get the best ones um, that I can think of. <laughs> the quick one. One, one word answer. Uh, won't count this. Uh, bigger neck beard, fetters or sheer? Ooh, fetters. He's got a. He, yeah, I, I think you're he's right. Got a lot more meat to cover. He's up. got more neck. Yeah, he's just kind of. Here's. <laughs> There's more neck. I there. feel like I'm just being put in a spot where I have to be a jerk. So I'm gonna stop. Um. Okay, that's fine. Um. Okay. This is. Uh, this is. This is. Uh, this is an easy question for me to answer too. Uh, and uh, I'll just ask it. I, I I kind of hate this question, but I'm going to ask it. Autumn, enjoy your Dan. Hypothetical, where the Ducks win the next two games against the Beavers and Huskies. Would you rather the Ducks get left out of the playoffs but win a New Year's Six Bowl by multiple scores or that the Ducks make the playoffs but lose the first round by multiple scores? I don't think that that's like the – oh, whatever. I have to answer the question as is. Give, put me in the playoff. Yes. You want to be in the playoff. Absolutely. We're past the point where, where near six goals We're past makes sense. The, yeah. Like 2019, yeah. I would have I would have given a different yeah. answer. Especially because I don't think we get I don't think we get beat by multiple scores in the playoff with this team. In 2019, LSU would have done nasty things to us. Nasty things. Okay, but okay, let's just say okay, we, we win the next two games and they put us in, in the playoffs against Georgia and we go to the Sugar Bowl and we lose by fourteen. Sign me up. I'll take that any day. Like that's a great I mean that's a great season. Yeah. Not that I want to lose by 14, but then we get to hang a banner like Washington semi semifinal participants. <laughs> I know. We're not hanging any banner, <laughs> but it does show you like where you are at. Like how close are you? Where do you need yeah. to get to? No, right? Get it's you. a measuring stick game at that point. I got you, Doug. Yeah. We ain't hanging no freaking banner for participation. I'm I'm kidding. All right. I think, uh, Brandon, last question. Where are the quarterly HIF team review co- collaborations? Uh, we we kind of did that we, mid-year this year. We did it halfway through the season. We'll do one at the end of the season as well. Definitely we'll have HIF back yeah, up. Yeah, we'll do one before the before uh, the bowl game or bowl season if it's a semifinal game. Yeah. There's yeah. going to be a lot of content. Quarterly in last year was a little bit too often, so I think we, yeah, we decided like, the, we've the mid-year already been recording, the end was good. Like, I think on average more than twice a week. Um, and so the, this time of year is crazy with the holidays and everything. And so trying to squeeze in like every third week, a third episode is pretty, pretty tough to find time for. So, um, we'll, we'll we, I, I'm glad that people like them though. Cause they're some of my favorite episodes to record. Yeah. They always, um, they always get a lot of listens. They're very popular. We, we love Hith. We will have him back after the season. All right. This is more of a statement than a question. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to sign off QB. Jason Bagley asks, Moving to the big slides UW firmly into our main rival slot. Is it time to stop playing for wins and instead seek victories? Screw the letter W. Let's get some V's. I like I, it. I, We're playing for I victories. I like that a lot. I like that. Well that, done, Jason. Well, played. well done. Um, and I, I lo- All right, I, QB. Can I, can I make a comment? Of Ohio course. State going around. Your show. It's named after you. You can do whatever you Ohio want. Ohio State going around campus and putting red X's over every M everywhere on campus is awesome. I love that. That is like so petty. I love that the, 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 they the don't attention ever to detail. Name. I love that they don't. They just they never say the name of the team up north. I love that too. It's just the team up north, or TTUN. Yep, I agree. I like that. And we could have a TTUN. Yeah, they could be the team owner. I don't want to steal it, though. North. We have to come up like, 
No, we need something new. But we also like I don't know. We got to work on this in the off season. We need a we need a we need a name need a trophy. for this game. We need a trophy for this game. We're in the Big Ten. We need a trophy. Yeah, game. every game like that's the thing is there's so many trophy games in the Big Ten. Like if you don't watch that conference regularly, like people don't realize that like Wisconsin's got like four trophy games. <laughs> yeah, they got to they got to play for a trophy every other week. It's awesome. It's great. I, can I just get one? Can we play for one? I want one. Yeah, I, let's start there, and it's got to be Washington. Like, yeah, there's only team. Like, let, let's get a trophy been our game. Primary rival. Like, I, I, I like. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to sit here. I know that water, that Oregon State's going through it. And I don't mean to pile on and make their fans feel bad, but like, let's not pretend. I'll, I'll do a trophy game with them too. But That's they, fine. They've they never games. been our primary rival. I wouldn't say never. Maybe but back not in, in like your maybe lifetime. back in like. Before I was born, like possibly when when yeah. both teams weren't very before good. before football started in 1994. Yes, yes. got it. <laughs> as as our rivals like to say about All us. Right, Doug. Well, it's 11 o'clock. I got to sign off here. So let's roll. Let's roll. All right, we will see you on Friday and at the game. And uh, yeah, so everyone, get down to Autzen. Be loud. Be proud. It's going to be great weather. Enjoy the drone show. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the pregame. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Eat a lot of turkey. Drive safe. Don't drink and drive. Follow us on Twitter at QB11SD, at DouglasTS. Follow the show at QB11Show. We're inching closer and closer to 1,000, but we're not quite there. Get us over the hump, please. We will be back at you after the game. We'll record. I don't know when we'll record. We'll figure it out. We'll probably be back a day early or so with our with our thoughts on this game. And uh, enjoy the game. Go Ducks. We'll talk to you all soon.